This is the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast with Andy Hill, session number 51. This show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Thank you for being here today, everybody. Before we jump into today's show, I want to tell you that I've developed a list of my top five personal favorite finance books. These books have helped me to get a true understanding of how to invest, how to learn the power of passive income, and how to eliminate $50,000 in debt that our family had. If you are looking for a great book to guide you on your personal finance journey, check out marriagekidsandmoney.com books. If you purchase one of those books or really anything through that Amazon link, you are supporting this show. For that, I say muchas gracias. That link again is marriagekidsandmoney.com books. One more quick announcement while I've got your attention. The Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast has been nominated as a finalist for the best new personal finance podcast of the year by the Plutus Awards. You might be asking, what the heck is Plutus Awards? This is like the Academy Awards for the world of personal finance. This is a big deal. I want to thank you all for listening and thank you for the reviews and thank you for engaging with me. I will find out more if uh, if we're awarded this award in two weeks at a personal finance conference called FinCon in Dallas. I will let you all know how it goes. But again, thank you very much for the support. More fun will be on the way, my friends. All right, let's jump back into today's show. Distraction. It can come in all different forms. It can be from... Oh, you know, chit-chat with your colleagues at work or email notifications on your phone, social media reminders, unwanted solicitor phone calls, or just even being the always-on parent that a lot of us have to be. The constant challenge of blocking out the noise and focusing on the most important task can sometimes feel impossible. Today, we're going to conquer distraction together. We're going to help you win back your time, your attention, and your focus. Speaking of focus, (laughs) I've invited a guest who is on a mission to rescue us from our distracted selves. Workplace consultant and author Kurt Steinhorst joins us on the podcast today to discuss his new book, Can I Have Your Attention? This new book that's actually coming out today, October 9th, it focuses on inspiring better work habits and getting stuff done in a constantly connected workplace. Outside of his writing and consulting work, Kurt speaks more than 75 times a year to everyone from leadership associations and global nonprofits to Fortune 100 companies. He's a big deal. Oh, And he's married with a three-year-old and a one-year-old, so you know he's going through the same stuff we're all going through. So if anybody knows a thing or two about maintaining focus and winning, it is this guy. Although Kurt's new book focuses a lot on improving your work life, Kurt and I also chat about how we can battle distraction at home. The goal of that discussion, at least 
selfishly for me, was to learn how I could become a more focused father and thoughtful husband. If you are looking for ways to optimize your day, become more successful, and win for your family, you will not want to miss the next 40 minutes, my friends. I felt motivated by my chat with Kurt, and I hope you will too. Without further delay, let's master the art of focus with author Kurt Steinhorst. Welcome, everybody. We've got an excellent guest today, Kurt Steinhorst. How's it going, Kurt? Great. Thanks for having me, Andy. Oh, man, this is this is excellent. We've got a, a perfect conversation to talk about because I fall victim to distraction quite a bit in my life. Obviously, there's lots of things that are happening and going on both with work and with family life. And I think, the, you know, a, a great goal is to try to become more focused. And that's really why we have you on today. Um, you, you are a distraction expert. Is that right? That is right. Although it's funny, the the way that that came about, it, it, was, it was totally tongue-in-cheek oh. because what it really was evidence of is that I'm the most easily distracted of anybody as someone who was diagnosed <laughs> with ADD. And uh, that just means I happen to uh, know that like there's more ways to get distracted than anybody else knows. So you not only are a distraction expert, but you're a distraction expert. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Well, let's Perfectly talk about exactly. the other end of being a distraction expert today. Um, what what do you what do you do to uh, I guess help people with with their distraction problems? Yeah. So at its simplest level, I study, write, speak, and consult with mainly companies and organizations on how to rethink communication technology and productivity in a world of constant connectivity. Okay. So that's the short of my job, and that takes a lot of different forms depending on the particular situation. But at its core, I'm asking, what does it really look like to thrive in a constantly connected workplace? Okay, yeah. I mean, I, I think about that personally, and then I just think about how technology has changed over the past even five to ten years uh, with I mean, e- email is a whole subject we could probably spend hours and hours talking about, but just <laughs> even just smartphones in general and how that's changed um, our access to technology or access to quick answers or access to distractions that's right. um, uh, over the past uh, five to ten years. So, so I understand you have a new book called Can I Have Your Attention? So what a great title. Uh, what, what can people expect uh, from, from reading this book? You know, the book is a dissection of the nature of distraction, the hidden costs, uh, and that's right at the very front. Most of the book is on what are realistic strategies that we can adopt as leaders to help other people and with our own lives. You know, the truth is most of us don't need to be told that we're struggling with distraction at this point. If we understood just how deep and how costly it was, we probably would be more aware of um, our need to adjust it. But really what I've seen has been a struggle for a lot of people is, okay, so I know I'm not supposed to be on my phone, but what, like, what do I actually do? Like, what can we actually do? And so uh, the book is meant to be a short solution oriented take on um, what we can actually do. Excellent. Well, we'll get into some of those action items on how people can improve today, but let's, let's dive into a little bit of that. The, the issues you said, how costly it is. Can you, can you dive into a little bit of that? Um, and that's, I'm assuming you're talking from a work, workplace perspective. 
Yeah. So when we go towards the workplace perspective, there's a lot of ways we can measure that. And all of them are a little bit scary when we start to do the the deep dive into the research. So uh, some estimates are as high as half a trillion dollars are being cost in the U.S. economy alone. But where that plays out is the amount of uh, time and waste that comes by the way that we're um, by the way that we're working. So a uh, few things like busiest hours of Facebook are Monday through Friday from 1 to 3 p.m. right in the middle of the workday. It's uh, <laughs> awesome, right? Uh, 60% of online retail purchases occur during working hours. Um, Believe depending it. On, yeah, think <laughs> about that for a second. <laughs> um, depending on uh, the industry, anywhere from two to six hours a day are spent cyber loafing and doing things that aren't actually highest and best use. 86% of emails are not crucial to work. Um, and so you just see this overwhelming picture over $10,000 an employee of um, the amount that's coming at us, we are clearly not handling well. And really, that's just the surface level implications because when we start to dive into it and we start to see the consequences of the modus operandi and the way that most of us react naturally to this world, um, we start to see costs in terms of creativity, the quality of the work, the ability to differentiate importance, and that stuff doesn't even show up in the dollars. Yeah. Now, I, 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 there was one portion of your book, and thank you very much for sending it to me, uh, that, I, that I really liked, and, I, and it resonated with me, is, is being able to put some of those things aside and really putting some focused time on uh, not being distracted. Because once you do, and you provide that focused time, you can be creative, and you can come up with new concepts. So I, I see how that could really hit the workplace. So what what are you doing to help uh, companies to to battle this in your in your consultative role? The you know the truth is, and this is what people we love in today's world with all the information coming at us and sound bites, we mm -hmm. love simple solutions. Uh, but the truth is what makes this really complex is that there are a lot of factors and uh, there's always a specific context that can come together to create varying uh, challenges. So, for instance, uh, the way that we manage email, you mentioned it earlier, is uh, one, it's a challenge because we're talking about people not being capable of handling the 215 that come at them a day. Mm -hmm. But every organization is going to have a different relationship within their teams. And so a lot of the work I do is uh, – you know, if it's a keynote, it's introducing the idea to ask organizations to rethink how they're approaching work. But when we move more towards the consultative, mm -hmm. we are uncovering what are the areas. So is it a space issue? You know, everyone's moving towards open office because it's collaborative, but like without having isolation, collaboration isn't worth a lot. And uh, or is it, you know, do we need to shift and think about the technology that we're using? So it, it really does take a lot of different shapes. And um, the reason I'm throwing a lot in terms of the variety is it it's helpful for all of us to think you know this isn't um, one it's not just me mm -hmm. and two uh it's not just as simple as i'm not going to get on my phone you know from 10 to 12 right it's not just hey uh we're gonna block social media at the office it's yeah. a million things that are that are dealing with the distraction okay i see i see where you're going so it's it's a a larger issue for sure so let, let, let's talk about the, the, the common worker. The, I'm thinking about myself here. So I, I, I don't own a company. Um, I, I work at one. How is, uh, is, is me checking my phone, what did you say, from, from 1 to 3 p.m. on Monday <laughs> to go on Facebook and then do any sort of shopping uh, during the workplace? How, how is that affecting me as a worker? 
Yeah, great question. And let me first say that there's not necessarily anything wrong with checking Facebook in the middle of the workday. You know, we used to have uh, smoke breaks or coffee breaks, and we do need breaks. So that's not always a bad thing to do that. Uh, and with the world we live in now, the there's just no there's no possible way for us to have a full separation of work and home and personal. It's just it's not realistic. Nor do, nor would we want it. Uh, it's actually really nice that I can drive home early, hang out with my family, and you know, uh, at 8 p.m., flip open my computer and reply to a couple emails rather than having to sit in the office and wait for those to come in. So th it's not a bad thing in a vacuum. Where it becomes a bad thing is that when our standard, uh, our standard approach to how we do everything in work is in constant reaction where our inbox is the to-do list that other people get to dictate what you're doing at a time. And there's a lot of ways that hurts us, but from an individual standpoint, I'll give you two that are particularly challenging. The first one is the more people feel an urge to, to um, compulsively check their phone, the more sick days in direct proportion they take, the more likely they are to be sick. So we get overwhelmed and paralysis comes in and we lose, uh, we lose a connection to work. And we, so there, there's a real physical cost to this constantly needing to look back at our phones. So that's the first one. But I, I think the, the, the two, I think I might've said two, but we're going to do three. The, the two that are particularly costly are we do lose our ability to differentiate importance. So to know what is important versus what isn't means that you had to take the space to pull back and say which of these things uh, actually is urgent and which of these things aren't. And most of us, we live in this constant urge and need to feel like we have to reply to everything immediately. And so we end up doing a lot of stuff, but we don't necessarily have a gauge of whether it's actually productive. Right. And so that's a real cost. And then the last one, which is probably the most concerning, is um, – when we don't have space, when we don't pull out of the connectivity, we what we end up doing is we 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 don't have the space to understand why what we're doing matters, and so we have these numbers around seventy percent of workers not being actively engaged in their work, and and we wonder why. Well, if you get to the end of the day and you you know you went from replying to hundreds of emails, sitting in meetings, and then you go immediately and you turn on a podcast and you walk straight in the door and you're doing something and you never have space to say what did I actually do today? Uh, <laughs> then you wonder why a year later you hate your job and you think it's the job, but then you'll go to a new job and you'll have the same problem. Mm. So that's really where we start to have problems. We disconnect from our work's meaning. That hits home, brother. <laughs> <laughs> For all of us. Well, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about it too because it's the amount of messages, whether it's emails, texts, uh, podcasts, uh, articles that I'm reading. You know, I think it's, uh, you know, part of this is, is taking some time to, yes, absorb the message, but also take action with it because otherwise we're just we're just listening to or, or being a part of multiple multiple messages per day and really not making very much progress. So I, I see where that, I see where that can, that can really hinder our, our progress at work. Um, why do you, why do you think we're so addicted to our phones? You, you talk, you talk a little bit about the dopamine hit in your book. Can, can we, can we elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. You know, technology at its core is providing us access to things we were never meant to resist. 
And uh, one of the things that I, I think is really important today is it is easy in these discussions to uh, make, you know, everyone leaves where like, I feel dirty, I'm a terrible human being, I am ruining all of every part of my life. Look, technology provides a lot of awesome things. They're just so good that they can actually replace the things that we really want long term. And so there's, you know, a few layers here. Uh, one is called an associative reward. And basically, at some point, you got some unexpected message through your digital uh whether it's your phone or your laptop. And now your brain says the mere possibility of it being there ignites dopamine, which is the happy neurotransmitter that makes us feel good. And so it doesn't even have to be there because the possibility of it being there creates this slot machine effect, what scientists call intermittent reinforcement. And so we go back to it anytime we're bored, anytime we're tired. Um, and, you know, and that's part of it. There's, there's also layers around uh, the fact that human relationships are hard and we can get control. So we can get connectivity with control. We can use it to avoid when we're uncomfortable. And uh, in a lot of ways, it is a solution to whatever temporary brain need we have. And, you know, let's not be deceived here. Technology companies, they're designed to get more of our attention. And um, I think where I come down with uh, opposite a lot of the researchers on the other side along within my field is whether or not that's true, I would argue that being a victim isn't a really good place for change. And so let's not blame tech companies. Instead, let's say, how do we, how do we adopt so that tech's working for us, not against us? Wow. That makes a ton of sense, man. I take, so, so let's talk about how we can... <clears throat> I guess be a little bit more uh, focused in our in our attention. Use the word, use the phrase. Sorry, the concept of being focus wise at work. So, what does what does that mean, and how can people become more focus wise? At its simplest level, it it means just putting your attention on the right thing at the right time. That's what it means. But when we dial it down another level, it comes down to understanding what parts of our lives require our full attention. And what parts of our lives don't? A lot of people have heard at this point, multitasking is a myth. Uh, the truth is, multitasking is not a myth. There are times that multitasking makes great sense. If I have an audiobook, I will clean whatever dish that my kids have found a way to destroy. Like, <laughs> this is a good form of multitasking. On the other hand, if I'm going to write my book and I expect it to be a quality that anyone wants to pick up. Having uh, having a conference call in the background, which also hits the language center of my brain, means that both are going to get uh, – neither one is going to get the quality or the speed that is required for it to be done well. And so you know, at its simplest level, focus-wise is saying, hey, we'll be connected for a lot of the day. We'll reply to emails, but we're going to know what – Things within our home life and within our work life uh, are of such importance that they demand from us our full attention, and we're going to structure our lives to make sure those things happen. I like that, man. I like that. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, the, you know, uh, the the dishes while listening to music, or the you know cleaning your car while you know hearing a podcast or something like that. Obviously, those are things that we've been 
that we're able to, you know, provide the right focus on. But yeah, I, if I were to be, let's see, uh, tweeting something while I'm talking to you right now, uh, that would not be uh, focus-wise of me. <laughs> it would not be yes. an engaging conversation and everybody would be bored out of their skull. So, uh, <laughs> Or you get that delay, that half-second delay. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. All used uh, to this. Whatever you just said. Yeah. So let's move yep. on to the next question. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Well, so uh, focus-wise, let, let's. You, you talked about there being different areas uh, of improvement opportunities at work. You spoke a lot about having that great workspace, or you know, cr- the importance of creating this vault uh, when it comes to where you are and where you work. You had a lot of great nuggets in this book, man. I really appreciate it. By the way, if you guys, I'll, I'm gonna definitely put the, the the link for the book in the show notes. You guys will really enjoy this. But talk a little bit about how we can become focus wise with the space that we choose to work in. Yeah. So the vault is just, it's imagine a gym for people that need to work out. My grandfather never once had to go to a gym and he was in great shape his whole life. And that's because he worked and he moved, but we had this weird thing happen where we all became sedentary with work or a lot of us did. And so we created gyms here's what's interesting about a gym. There's nothing at a gym that you can't do for free elsewhere. There's nothing like I can lift my couch. I can do, you know, curls with my one year old. (laughs) Maybe not that might not get approved by the powers (laughs) that be, but there's things we can do. We can go on a run, but we go to a gym because our brains are best when we have distinct roles in distinct places. This is how our brain is wired. And so when we talk about today a need to create the equivalent for our work, all I, a focus vault is simply a place that we reserve and set aside for the few things that demand our full attention in a given day. So I never have more than four tasks in a day that I know are going to require me to fully focus in. But I go into this vault, which is distinctly made. Like I'm not checking fantasy football in the vault even though I want to because I could miss a waiver wire transaction, <laughs> I, I'm not doing it there. I'm going to get up and move. And so it's a limited time, limited pl- or a limited time reserved for a small number of tasks. And, you know, the last thing I say, not everyone can have two desks. Uh, if you have a if you're in a work environment that has uh, multifunctional office design, which is my preferred route, meaning that you can go to different places to do different types of work, uh, that's a really great way to do it. If you are in a single place for work, then we can replace location difference with ritual. And that means like, I'm going to start my day by checking some emails and then I'm going to turn off the internet. I'm going to uh, move to a full screen. I'm going to put on my headphones. I'm going to put a sign that says, I hate you. Don't talk to me, whatever. And and, (laughs) like, and it will create a, a distinct place, a distinct time. That's what a vault is nice yeah and it's, you, you, you mentioned the book a little bit about you know letting your colleagues know when that time is too you know so so they respect that and, and that also happens not only just with your you know your work life but also with your home life as well i mean if it sounds like you know you being an entrepreneur you've you probably have to deal with this quite a bit at home as well is that right yeah the the um <laughs> the relationship we have with work at home and home at work is a weird one you know, it's it's funny. We we go to the beach, we work. We go to the mountains, vacation, we work. We're at a good soccer games, 
when we're not yelling at the rest, we work and then <laughs> we go to work and we don't work. And, and, you know, so we're, we're, we're kind of in this weird spot where we're half in half out all the time. And, and so when I'm at home, I, we have specific times that I'm not connected to work. And when I'm at work, there's expectations that specific times of the day that my wife uh, will not necessarily hear from me. And there's a route to get me if there's a real ur- urgency. Like she has two people who work for me's information and they can call. Um, at its core, these types of uh, – the capacity for me to not reply to my wife is a function of a conversation that happened with my wife. You know, that, that's really what's – so interesting about today. We communicate about everything. Like we'll talk about, I mean, what did I eat for breakfast? No one cares, but we post it. We (laughs) we want to talk about everything except for how the expectations that we have towards the key stakeholders in our lives and when and how we communicate with each other. And so, you know, if I were to say, what can you do to, what can you actually do to get more focused it's look at the key stakeholders and say, what conversation do I need to have and what expectations do we need to set? Hmm. You know, th- this is the first step. So people don't interrupt, but they actually – they get more of me at home because they know that they don't get as much of me at times when I'm not at home. That's great. Well, it's a good conversation especially to have with your family so you're setting expectations up front. Um, what, type of, what type of rules or methodologies have you guys used uh, within your family to promote connection and uh, limit the amount of distraction that, that happens during family time? A few things. Uh, the, well, simply, we have dinner that we dinner and family walks, dogs, kids, we, we do that and we don't have our phones. Uh, when we go out to dinner, anytime we go out to dinner, one of us will have our phone, the other one won't. And the reason is if we both have our phones, then we feel permission. But if one of us doesn't, then it's rude. <laughs> and so it just makes it easy. But if neither of us have our phones, then how do we know when we want to get ice cream if we should go to one place or another without Yelp telling us? <laughs> so we need our phones. Um, so that's, that's, you know, the, the, the short and simple, we don't have like hard and fast, no Saturday, no Sunday. We have a value system that says we want to be fully present. Um, I, 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 but I will say, I think the most significant shift for me as it related to home, and it, it was a good conversation with my wife, was I, we call it minding the gap. And I'm a firm believer, and, and science would back this up, that one of the things that makes it so hard is that that there's no period between the lives we have, meaning I'm working until the moment I walk in and then my kid comes and grabs me or demands to be chased. And I wonder why my head is still back in work world. Hmm. And so like we made a rule that my three-year-old loved to open the garage when he heard it and run out and get me off the, get me right out of the car. And we just made an agreement that that wasn't going to work because I, I needed to have a minute in the car to say, okay, I'm going to close this chapter for a little while until my kid goes to bed, and now I'm going to be home. And so that little two-minute gap allows for me to make sure my priorities are aligned with who I actually want to be. Just the smallest gap and an intentional decision to close and then open makes a massive difference. As you're telling that story, I am picturing myself pulling in my driveway, sitting in the garage, and I, I – 
I don't intentionally do that, uh, but I think about it a lot. I Whatever, I'm listening to a radio show or finishing up my day, and I know I'm about to go inside and and turn on dad mode. I've got a five-year-old and a three-year-old, and you know they aren't interested that I need to change and, and, and have a little moment to myself. You know, they, they, they want me to be on. They want me to be dad, and I want to be fun. I want to be fun dad, too. I want to be the guy that wrestles and you know yep. has some fun. But yeah, I mean, in order to keep the balance and keep it separated a little bit, I really appreciate what you said there, just kind of taking a moment to take a deep breath and realize that... Um, you know, you're going into this next step. So very cool. Yeah, I, I pictured myself in that exact same spot. Uh, one th- one thing you mentioned uh, in your book, I thought this was really interesting. And man, I don't even know if I could do this for a day. But you, you, you mentioned your family unplugged, quote unquote, for one month. What, what does that mean? And how the heck did that go? <laughs> Well, so it's funny, you, you said that this was actually, um, I have to be an honest, I have to be honest about yeah. this. My co-author's family actually unplugged. Oh, okay. Life. Okay. All um, right. But, but it was a source of a really uh, fruitful and great conversation. Mm-hmm. And so we've unplugged for a week during vacation. Yep. And, and what I can tell you is just with a week, there's two days of withdrawal followed by like a reminder of what did I think was so important. <laughs> yeah. And, and then like, uh, and then the funny thing about it is you, people say, oh, miss, you don't even want it at the end. Well, actually, no, I, I was even more excited because I was able to enjoy without feeling like I was rechecking the same Instagram posts six different times with no real updates. So it actually made the experience of the relationship with technology a better one. And so now uh, we, we aim to every quarter do a small um, mini retreat away and we even – we don't <laughs> vacation seems like a, a a great theory at this point, but um, we've even talked about saying like how can we make sure our vacations are helping us um, by eliminating tech as an option rather than like right in the middle of which is increasingly difficult but still possible um, rather than like staying at work while we're on vacation. I like that thought about uh, trying to create trying to create some separation with vacation. I think that would be a, a smart a smart methodology, especially when it comes to Trying to spend some focused time with the family and really engaging engaging yourselves. Okay, cool. Let's say, I mean, this is probably 99% of the, the America right now. If somebody wanted to just maybe slowly wean themselves off of the smartphone uh, uh, addiction that we have. I mean, the way we're talking about it does kind of sound like a drug. We were talking about yeah. dopamine and then being like, for the first two days, man, it was really tough. But by the end of the week, <laughs> I started to feel a little a little euphoria. And then at the end, I wanted it again. No, <laughs> But anyway, so for that person trying to, I guess, wean themselves off a little bit of the smartphone usage, do you have any suggestions to, I don't know, um, uh, maybe limit the distraction or or or, or just um, you know decrease the amount of usage overall. Yeah. First off, there's no one size fits all, but there are some principles that that are important and and consistent among those who have uh, a more focused wise approach towards their relationship with technology. Um, the first is just an awareness and commitment, and that seems really obvious. But like, hey, I'm going to stop being in denial about the fact that I use technology to avoid um, and to keep me from a lot of the relationships that really matter most. So like, that's a really simple, but it's a first step. Most people just constantly did a lot of interviews and people's self-perception of their 
relationship with technology is typically very far apart from reality. Um, and so we got to be honest about it. But then um, I, I'm a big believer in realistic boundaries reinforced in two ways. First way is um, making the pain to go get it higher than the pain to not. So, hey, I'm not going to be on my phone from 7 to 9 p.m. And that's the rule I'm going to set. Well, leave your phone in your glove box in your car. Don't put it out on the table right next to dinner and say, I'm not going to look at it. So just literally making it a slightly more difficult is one step. The other one is not thinking that doing it alone is part is, is the real goal. This is a relational thing. You're, we want to replace it. We want to replace our non-use of technology, not by just flipping to the TV, um, but by actually putting proactive things that can be better than that. So I'm going to have a conversation with our family. We're going to say, hey, technology is great. We love it. It's not the enemy. It's a great thing. But um, we're going to, for the, you know, for Lent or for the next month, we're going to do no phones in the evenings, you know, whatever the rule is. But we're not going to just have everyone sit on their own. Like we're actually going to do something fun to replace that. So make the other thing better. Don't just make it about withdrawing. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. What 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 are what are things that you've done with your family uh, as you've decreased the the distractions in your life? Uh, that, you know, do you have any I guess advice for people if, if they're looking for activities with young kids and and um, and I guess the benefits that have, it's provided to you and your family? Yeah, the well, so there's two categories. Young kids for us need no <laughs> proactive games. Like it's just for the first time ever doing what they're asking us to do. <laughs> daddy chase me, daddy catch me, daddy throw the ball. Like they, they just wait for them 30 seconds and they'll have something for, to do. So and just to let everybody know how how old are your is your child or your kids? Yeah, I got a 3-year-old and a 1-year-old. 3-year-old and a 1-year-old. Okay. So that's younger kids. As they get older, it, it, you're you're outside of my my pay grade <laughs> on that one. Um, but the more interesting thing, people spend 60% more time connected to digital than they do in conversation with their significant other at home, so just at home. And and so that was the place that we this was years ago that we started saying like, "Hey, let's be honest, our conversations are getting shorter." And less, we're, we're less connected, not in a dangerous spot, but just, you know, easy to be entertained. And so what can we do? So we, we did board games, which we still do. We love um, Galaxy Truckers is a less famous game. It's a two-person game that can be played. It's really fun. Uh, we also – we work hard to have intentional conversations. It seems obvious. We even have a uh, – we have a couple different books on our – table if we aren't thinking of anything just to continue to ask good questions um and so those are really i mean that's that's all we do we we find times to go on dates we invite people over it's it's amazing how uh you know it doesn't take a lot to find things that actually are more more satisfying um and then we veg out at 9 p.m you know and we don't feel bad about it right no i like that a lot My, my wife and i get into board games too we play cards together um, when, when we're conscious about doing this, obviously, and you know, it, it like you said, it's not a uh, a one person thing. I mean, let's let's say we're in a relationship where maybe we think our spouse has a little bit more of an, the addiction than than we do, or the or the over distraction uh, with the device. Do you have any suggestion for having those kind of difficult conversations? 
well, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's um, a, maybe that's a whole other interview. <laughs> yeah. No. Well, it is funny though. It is a um, that actually is something that's probably my second most common question hmm. um, at events has to do with spousal relationships around technology, and wow. and the only thing that that I can say with confidence is that um, it must any conversation around this must be seen as them being on the same team, not being against. Mm -hmm. And so this, this might feel obvious, but there's a lot of uh, what we even had this happen in our relationship where um, work was stressful. And my wife felt like um, whatever work thing came in, uh, I had to pause the family conversation. Mm -hmm. And the truth is sometimes I did need to, but, um, we had to have a real, we just had, we had to have an honest conversation that started with, Hey, you know, the truth is like, I married you and I love you. And I just want, I want to, I want more of you, but I also want to know when you need to go off so that we're all on the same page. We don't feel like we're, we're, um, we're actually working against each other. So mm -hmm. big key, find ways to make sure that the person who you're having this conversation with feels like you're on their team, not against them. And you're wanting to work together towards getting, um, getting on the same page. That's great, man. I think that could go across <clears throat> many mediums uh, in, in the, the marriage dynamic, both working together on your personal finance, uh, yep. you know, if you're, if you develop a budget together to manage your finances together, just conversations around how you want to raise your children, uh, you know, that that can go across uh, many spectrums. So I appreciate, I appreciate the words of wisdom there, especially from a man with two small kids and a young <laughs> marriage, dude, I know exactly what you're going through, man. It's a, uh, I've been told by people who are a little older than us that uh, that this is one of the hardest times <laughs> in marriage uh, with very young kids. So um, I think I think we're doing okay though. <laughs> we're making it. We're That's making right. it. We're making it. Well, cool, man. Well, hey, I wanted to ask a couple pieces of advice before we close out here. Um, you're a successful entrepreneur, a keynote speaker, now an author, man. Congratulations! You you're developing a really inc uh, incredible brand for yourself. Was there any book or, I guess, resource that was influential to you as you were going through your entrepreneurial journey or anything that's uh, impacted you lately? Yeah. Um, so, well, resource and book. So book, there's been a number of books along the way. Uh, the uh, the E-Myth Revisited was a really important book for me early on just in terms of when I started my business. I was the definition of a – um, the way the book talks about it is you, people that are um, a skilled labor that then grow a business. And so hoping to think more about how to hire and work on the business was really important for me. And that was really good. The Most of the books that I really love in the business realm are not really pure business books. They're more psychology books okay. of varying types. So um, Thinking Fast and Slow is a uh, by Daniel Kahneman is a book on why people make decisions the way they do. Um, Persuasion or Influence by Robert Cialdini is a really interesting book. Um, probably my favorite book across all psychology, sociology is a book called The Social Animal by David Brooks. 
and that is not a how-to book. So it is mm-hmm. a it is a uh, poetically and hilariously written story of a fictional couple that goes through every stage of their life, and uh, David is able to weave in the most recent and um, like uh, well-known. Uh, ideas around research towards psychology and, and sociology and neuroscience to help us understand what's driving these types of behaviors. So it's just a fascinating read. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I will uh, include the links to some of those books that you mentioned there in the show notes for people to take uh, take advantage of. Um, we, are, we are looking to help people on this show by giving them really actionable advice that they can take away. So if they wanted to do one thing coming out of this conversation to become more focused and productive, both at work and with their family, what do you think that they could do today to make a difference? Great question. Uh, start your day or wherever you are by uh, turning off the, the push, the noise, and looking at that to-do list. And rather than just go down the list and give everything equal credit, credit um, Assign the two to three things that will define success. So what are the most important things that have to be done? And rather than allowing your inbox, move it to where those things are scheduled into your calendar and allow your calendar to dictate your attention. Uh, Leave gaps for things like email checking, but um, make sure that your calendar and the most important things drive rather than your inbox and most recent things driving your behavior. That's great. Yeah, I quite often have fallen into the letting my email box be my to-do list and it's and i think it's a it's an uphill battle that i'll never win inbox zero i think is a myth (laughs) (laughs) totally and and you know let me say this andy that's maybe what i don't know has been communicated as much as i would like is guilt is a terrible motivator and feeling like that that we can't get on top of it we're never productive enough i'm always mm-hmm. distracted like this is rest easy take your foot off your throat this is to everyone um your your phone is really awesome you're going to be on it too much it is a long-term battle uh, just like i shouldn't have eaten the brownie last night i'm going to eat healthy today and i'm not going to feel guilty about it. So it's it's really about saying, I'm going to move forward with a proactive approach. I'm not going to aim for perfection because then I will make sure that I'm never going to hit it. That's great. And, you know, and, and like you said, it's it's baby steps, right? Put some small rituals and, and, you know, things that you can do on a daily basis that will help you make that improvement. We're, we're not going to get there and just, you know, and listening to one conversation uh, and, and then making sweeping change the next day. So, be, be good to yourself and realize that, uh, you know, these things take time, and, and but, they, but they all start with small baby steps. That's right. Very cool. Well, people, where can people um, learn a little bit more about you, Kurt, and where can they grab this new book? Well, there's a, all across the interwebs, but if there's one place that I would say be the easiest, I, focuswise.com is my company's website focuswise.com. It's easy to remember. Uh, Amazon has the book. It's also going to be in retailers everywhere on October 9th moving forward. And so you can get it anywhere. I'm grateful for whatever way you get it. And also feel free to find me across any social media channel. But uh, all of those things are easy to find if you just go to focuswise.com. Very cool. Well, Kurt, thank you so much for taking time to talk to me today. This is an incredibly insightful conversation. And everybody, I had a chance uh, to read Can I Have Your Attention. It is a eye-opening and fun read. I really kind of flew through it because of the way Kurt writes 
and the stories that he's telling. So I highly recommend it. Uh, you guys should check it out. I think as we release the show, it's probably already going to be October 9th. So grab it and enjoy, everybody. Thanks again, Kurt, and have a great day, man. Thanks for having me, Andy. That conversation really hit home for me. I, I think it's because Kurt and I are in a very similar spot in our lives. Busy with our work life, but also wanting to be super dad. <laughs> Based on the emails that I've received, I know there are a lot of other folks out there just like us listening to the show right now. I'm all about improvement in action, so here are five things I am going to work on following this conversation. These action steps will help me improve both my work and home life. Join me if you'd like. Number one, when I start my day at work, I'm going to write down two to three things that will define success for my day. Number two, I am not going to let my work email dictate my day. I will allocate one hour in the morning and one hour in the afternoon to answering emails. I guarantee I will be much more productive instead of just staring at my outlook and letting the next one fly in be the most important thing that I take advantage of. So that's a really good one. Number two. So number three, when I'm in a work meeting, I'm going to turn off my laptop or more importantly, not even bring it to the meeting and also put my phone on do not disturb. This will allow me to provide my full attention to the meeting leader or my clients or my colleagues. I have been really bad at this lately, just picking up my phone and flipping through emails or Facebook during a meeting. Not cool, man. Working on it. Number four, I'm going to mind the gap, like Kurt mentioned in our conversation. When I arrive home from work, I'm going to take a couple minute breather in the car before entering the house. I'm going to turn off my phone and put it in my room. This way I can turn off work mode, Andy, and turn on family guy, Andy. And number five, when Nicole and I go out for date night, I like this one. I'm going to leave my phone at home and Nicole can bring hers. Like Kurt mentioned, this will force us to not look at our phones but we'll still be able to communicate with the sitter if need be or call up an Uber if we've had a few cocktails. So one phone, we'll see how that goes. These are five areas, one, two, three, four, five, that I'll be working on. Will I nail them all in one week? Probably not. But I'm going to make some progress, my friends. I'm going to take action to improve my day. Who is with me? <laughs> I can't hear any of you, but if you could check me out here in the show notes at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash session 51 and let me know if you're in, I would really appreciate it. And if you missed some of those resources and links mentioned in the show, same link there, marriagekidsandmoney.com slash session 51 at that same link. Tell me if you are battling distraction and how you're working to improve. Very interested in this conversation so I can improve as well. If you've been enjoying the show, please do me a favor and tell two friends today about the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast. Your support is highly appreciated. After one year, we've made a ton of progress together. Just imagine what we're going to do in year number two. Let's help others take control of their money and win for their families. So spread the word, my friends. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from Winston Churchill. You will never reach your destination 
if you stop and throw stones at every dog that barks. Focus, take action, and win, my friends. Carpe diem! Carpe diem!